Hello and welcome to the QCS General Practice Podcast, empowering GP practices with the latest expert insights. I'm Tracy Green, Head of Primary Care. Today, I'll be talking with my colleague, Alison Lowerson, who is the GP Policy Lead here at QCS. In this episode, we'll be talking about the duty of candour. On the 11th of March, the CQC updated its guidance on meeting the duty of candour to make it clear what providers must do to meet the requirements of the regulation and the circumstances in which it must be applied. So today, we'll be discussing the CQC guidance, how to implement a duty of candour culture, and why saying sorry really isn't admitting fault when something goes wrong. Hi, Alison. Hi, Tracy. So thank you for joining me today, Ali. So following on from the Mid-Staffs NHS Foundation Trust scandal, which we no doubt all remember, where hundreds of people died as a result of poor care, in 2014, the CQC introduced and brought in duty of candor protocols to ensure that an open, fair and transparent culture was deeply embedded in all health and care services. So Ali, why did the CQC update its guidance on this just a few weeks ago? Well, in the absence of face-to-face CQC inspections over the past year, it seems that across the health and social care sector, safety incidents, which were often being reported after the event has occurred, had increased since the start of the pandemic. So the CQC decided to publish updated guidance, giving examples as to what constitutes a notifiable safety incident or an NSI. So under the CQC's updated duty of candour guidance, how is a notifiable safety incident or NSI defined? The CQC states that an NSI must have been unintended or unexpected. Secondly, the guidance says that activity must have occurred during the provision of a regulated activity. And then thirdly, in the CQC's words, in the opinion of the healthcare professional, the NSI already has or might result in death or severe or moderate harm to the person receiving care. For example, if an incident involving a patient resulted in prolonged pain, impairment of motor functions, and it needed surgical intervention. The CQC also sets out some specific actions that providers must take when a notifiable safety incident occurs. And these include informing people about the incident, offering reasonable support, and providing truthful information and with a timely apology. Okay, so... Does giving an apology mean the practice is then accepting it's them at fault? Okay, so a crucial part of the duty of candour is the apology. And in many cases, it's the lack of a timely apology that pushes people to take legal action. So I think that the CQC's decision to clarify in its latest guidance the fact that making an apology is not the same as accepting liability is a highly significant and welcome step for providers. Because we know that saying sorry is always the right thing to do. It acknowledges that something could have gone better and is the first step to learning from what happened and preventing it reoccurring. But that said, there's still a feeling that no matter how open and transparent the culture, that saying sorry is an admission of guilt and liability. So while the CQC has actively emphasised that the two are in no way connected, written apologies may often contain defensive language. And there's a big difference, for example, between offering up a a non-apology apology to saying sorry for actually doing something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand what you mean by the non-apology apology as, as both being ex-practice managers. So so now what do practices need to do to meet their duty of candle responsibilities, Ali? Essentially, practices must be able to satisfy themselves that they followed the correct procedures and that they can evidence this to the CQC. 
Because if they have, then it's much easier to write a letter of apology because you can instantly see if the practice is in breach of its responsibilities around duty of candour. It's worth noting that there are two types of duty of candour, statutory and professional. The the CQC itself regulates a statutory duty, while the professional duty is overseen by regulators of specific healthcare professionals, such as the General Medical Council and the Nursing and Midwifery Council, the NMC. It may be, however, that it quickly becomes evident that an error has been made. That said, if the provider can demonstrate to CQC that it has reflected on its mistake, rectified it and put corrective steps in place to prevent it from happening again, the CQC is more likely to be satisfied. Yeah, I I bet they will, won't they, as well? So that's really, really interesting listening to that. So how can policies and procedures be effective around duty of candle? When a positive culture of transparency and accountability has been instilled with greater openness, an accident and incident reporting policy, for example, is designed not just to record accidents and incidents, but to identify potential safety issues before they impact negatively on patients and staff. But in order for it to really work well, it relies on staff coming forward and reporting all accidents and incidents. Where the culture in practice is strong, they're much more likely to do so which will enable the lessons to be learned, improvements to be made before a member of staff or a patient is harmed. Yeah, absolutely. And I recall in my last practice, I uh, implemented a, a near-miss process. It doesn't have to be a significant event or something that's really caused harm, but it's something that could. So what else could practices do to encourage a, a culture of openness and transparency? So to really affect lasting change, the culture of openness that CQC is advocating should be replicated in GP practices. And this requires practice managers, registered managers and senior clinicians to lead the way. The culture should be enable staff to feel that they can share mistakes. And that is, as you mentioned, the near misses that they've made uh, and be able to do that with the rest of the practice without fear. They should also feel supported to be open no matter how big the error. We're all human at the end of the day. And a supervision policy and procedure which advocates a safe and confidential environment for staff to reflect upon and discuss their work can take this open and inclusive culture to the next level. Absolutely, yeah. And you've mentioned a couple of particular policies there, Ali. What other policies and procedures can practices utilise? At QCS, we've updated um, several of our policies on the back of this updated guidance, which includes our duty of candour policy and procedure. Um, We've also updated a number of policies which are closely linked to this as well, which includes complaints, suggestions and compliments and our audit policy and procedure, as well as our accident and incident reporting policy. We've also produced a significant event register with a drop down menu, which can help practice indicate whether or not duty of candour applies. And this can be used as evidence at a CQC inspection to show openness and honesty when things go wrong. And we've also produced a short quiz just to help staff understand the duty of candour and their responsibility. So thanks for that, Ali. You mentioned as well about audit policy. We'll be talking about that next month. So finally, what's the take home message from this? So the fewer incidents and accidents, obviously, the fewer duty of candour breaches there are likely to be. And when you consider the huge fines that practices could actually incur, not to mention the mental and physical trauma sustained by patients and staff, it's wise to stay on the right side of regulation. So it's important that as soon as something has gone wrong, document it and report it. Great words of wisdom there. Thank you so much, Aline. I know this has been really useful to, to all of our listeners. 
Thank you for listening today. To find out more about QCS, please visit qcs.co.uk forward slash GP podcast.